Hello and welcome. I'm Paul Gunton and I'm hosting this podcast for Lloyd's List. With MEPC 80 and its revisions to IMO's greenhouse gas emissions reduction strategy now behind us, it's time for the industry to focus on the road ahead towards low and zero carbon fuels. We have a destination in our sat-nav, which is, uh, to quote from the strategy itself, to reach net zero GHG emissions by or around, i.e. close to, 2050, taking into account different national circumstances. But where would we find the equivalent of a roadside gas station between now and 2050 to fill up our tanks? And can we be confident that it will stock the fuel we need? My guests are at the forefront of addressing those questions. Ken Carr is a senior engineer at ExxonMobil who spent years working on new marine fuel blends. It's his job to develop the fuels in time for when ships arrive on ExxonMobil's forecourt. His colleague Christoph Poots is ExxonMobil's global regulatory development advisor and chair of the Fuels and Products Working Group at the International Petroleum Industry Environmental Conservation Association, usually known as IPCA, which is the global oil and gas association for advancing environmental and social performance across the energy transition. So he can share some insights into how a major fuel supplier is moving down that road towards 2050. So I'd like to come to you, Christoph. Are you in the fast lane and the drive to deliver the fuels that we will need in 2050? Or can you take the slow lane, given that it's still nearly 27 years away? Hey, Paul. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for having us today. We're, we're very pleased to participate to this podcast on the energy transition in particular international shipping. Well, to your question, ExxonMobil remains determined to tackle hard on the challenge of strengthening energy supply security and reducing GHG emissions to support a net zero future that we typically refer as the ENDS equation. Uh, to better understand the challenge ahead, I may remind the audience uh, the three key highlights from our recent 2023 Global Outlook which provides a view of demand and supply dynamics through 2050. Uh, to start with, energy and human developments are tightly linked. Between now and 2050, the world's population is expected to grow to almost 9.7 billion, which is nearly 2 billion above the current population. Uh, second, the global GDP is expected to more than double. And third, 15% more energy is needed to support a growing population with rising living standards, many of whom live in the developing world. In global transportation alone, this is over 30% growth from 2021 to 2050. In that context, ExxonMobil focuses on five strategic priorities, including partnering to create value through win-win solutions with our customers, portfolio of assets and products that outperform the competition and innovative solutions to improve competitiveness and accelerate large-scale deployment of solutions essential to modern life and the lower uh, emissions future. So from 2022 through 2027, we are pursuing more than 20 billion US dollar of lower emissions opportunities, an increase of over 3 billion from the amounts we announced last year. 
About 50% of our investments will focus on further reducing greenhouse gas emissions in facilities that we operate, and the remaining 50%, or roughly 10 billion US dollars, will be directed toward building our lower emissions business with third-party customers as lower emissions technology demands ramps up, supported by policies and innovation. Yeah, thanks, Christoph. So you're clearly not uh, waiting till the last minute uh, on this this journey. And now, of course, the last major change in marine fuel regulations was the uh, 2020 sulphur cap. Uh, and I'm wondering whether we can take any lessons from that as to how we tackle these other uh, emissions. Yeah, thanks for a great question. Um, we should avoid drawing too many parallels between IMO 2020, which addressed a fuel property, with the upcoming regulations to manage DAG emissions reduction during the energy transition with new fuels. Nevertheless, I would say that IMO 2020, the reduction of sulfur content in bunker fuels, was not only the last major change in fuel regulations, but also a significant global challenge successfully managed to switch about 200 million tons of bunker fuels used for international shipping from 3.5% to 0.5% sulfur uh, that impacted refining across the globe. Then I would like to highlight three lessons learned that contributed to a successful outcome from that challenge. One, there was a timely coordination between key stakeholders under the IMO, International Maritime Organization auspices, who valued input from parties and observers, organizing dialogue and work plan in anticipation of the upcoming change. Second, the adoption by the IMO of an holistic basket of regulations ruling all aspects of the change, not only the emissions, but also alternate compliance, carriage, of fuel oil non-availability report. And third, the publication by the industry of guidance to address technical and safety implications driven by IMO 2020, applicable to personnel involved in the marine fuels and shipping industries, from fuel blenders and suppliers uh, through uh, to end users, covering issues such as uh, fuel compatibility, stability, handling and storage together with operational factors. Overall, a great achievement that demonstrates stakeholders' experience and work to support improvements in international shipping. Uh, thanks for that uh, retrospective. And uh, the IMO's revised strategy refers to what it calls indicative checkpoints on the journey towards net zero, um, which don't sound to me like definite targets. And I'm wondering whether you would like to see some uh, enforcement provisions added to the regulation. Right. Uh, in general, ExxonMobil sees uh, three drivers of energy demand, policy, technology, and consumer preferences. Uh, we have consistently advocated for sound policies across sectors, we support market-based technology-neutral policies that recognize the value of addressing full life cycle emissions versus solely focusing on scope-free emissions when the fuel gets combusted. As a reminder, scope-free emissions 
are the consequence of the activities of the company, but the cure from sources not owned or controlled by the company. So some examples would be um, of scope-free activities, extraction and product of purchased materials, as well as the use of sold products and services. Now, future IMO regulations under MARPOL Annex 6 should help provide enhance incentives and predictability for future investments in lower GHG emission fuels and vessels across the globe. As we all know, um, a basket of candidate measures delivering on the reduction targets is planned to be developed for adoption in 2025, comprising of both a technical and an economic element. We think a low carbon fuel standard setting declining annual targets for the well-to-wake carbon intensity of consumed marine fuels would be an effective way to support innovation as well as multiple pathways to enable lower GHG emission fuels and vessel technologies. As opposed to a common concept such as a mandate on the absolute cap of the fuel carbon intensity used by the ship. A low carbon fuel standard enables the flexibility to manage investments in lower GHG fuels and vessels with a carbon price set by avoided emissions rather than total emissions, creating an economic incentive that is based on the GHG emissions reduction instead of applying a CO2 cost to total emissions. Um, an alternate compliance mechanism in the form of a buyout could also provide revenues to an IMO global fund to support initiatives in the shipping sector, for instance, research, uh, as well as transition in, in, in seeds and LDCs, uh, small island developing states or, or least developed countries. I would conclude by mentioning that IMO consensus-based approach and consistency with national and, and regional policies with IMO is desirable to create confidence for investments. I think those sound some very interesting uh, proposals there, uh, Christoph. Uh, would any of those actually require any changes to the text in the uh, IMO's uh, revised strategy? Thanks, Paul, for the, the question. We, we don't think so. In fact, uh, the revision of the GSG strategy as adopted in July 2023 talks about well-to-wake GHG emissions and we believe is a great platform uh, to uh, 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 think to develop uh, new regulations uh, based on the principle we just explained. Okay, thanks. I'd like to bring in uh, Ken here because uh, oil companies have had to plan their product development for the long term. So I wonder if you can say how producers are preparing for this transition to a lower carbon future. Um, I mean, will they, will, will you, for that matter, have to build uh, ammonia production lines, uh, for example? Thank you, Paul. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say uh, ExxonMobil supports the IMO ambition to reduce greenhouse gas emission in, in the marine industry. And that means we are offering lower emission products to our marine customer. And in terms of product development, we are offering a range of solutions because customer needs, product availability, and cost varies. And for existing vessel, we are currently developing bio marine fuel, 
And at the same time, we are also exploring alternatives like methanol and ammonia. And some of these alternative fuel may require a novel lubricant technologies we are also developing to match the new engine designs. And ExxonMobil recognized that to have a very viable marine fuel requires infrastructure, distribution, and technologies. And ExxonMobil cannot do everything alone. We need industry collaboration and appropriate policy to enable an alternative fuel. Thanks, uh, thanks, Ken. You mentioned there uh, lubricants um, for some of these new fuels, and I'm wondering how close you are to having lubes available suitable for, say, you know, ammonia and, and hydrogen. Yes, um, is uh, for for example for the ammonia engines, uh, which is currently being developed by engine developers. So we work closely with them in terms of uh, a lubricant uh, design. And internally, we are doing our own uh, evaluations and analysis right now. So that's uh, uh, to come. And at the same time, for hydrogen engines, we are also having a lubricant design and uh, being tested for uh, the, first of all, the stationary engine first, hydrogen engines. And so uh, uh, you can see that it will come for also when hydrogen uh, marine engines uh, uh, come to the market. Okay, and what about these um, e-fuels? Um, some people say that these are going to create new uh, geographic energy sources based on uh, the availability of solar and wind power. Uh, do you think traditional oil-based fuel suppliers need to respond uh, to that? E-fuels are being considered by ExxonMobil and we are working with collaborators on renewable fuels, which may contain e-fuels components. Um, e-fuels will require a source of uh, renewable energy and CO2 if it's a carbon base, such as like methanol. To produce e-fuels at scale will require an abundant renewable energy capacity. And uh, in that sense, location with rich renewable energy resource may be favored in e-fuel productions. And at present, renewable energy mainly goes to supply the power sector. And therefore, there's uh, very little e-fuels production. And additionally, the cost to produce e-fuel is much higher than other alternatives. And therefore, we need to be cautious in terms of uh, how quickly e-fuels production could scale. You mentioned there that uh, at the moment, renewable energy mainly goes to supply the power sector. I'm just wondering whether in the future there's going to be competition between uh, industry sectors for these e-fuels? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, at present, uh, the, this is a, there's a similar question being asked by customers in terms of the biofuel availability. Um, and uh, the same biofuel molecule could be used to power marine engines and also could be used to power a heavy-duty truck or being further processed to make aviation fuel. And you could think of uh, the question for e-fuels will be similar. Uh, the same resource could be used for multiple applications. And therefore, uh, there might be a competition in the future too. And finally, perhaps you can resolve a small puzzle in the revised IMO strategy, which as I said in my introduction, its target is to reach net zero 
GHG emissions by or around uh, 2050. And I'm wondering, Ken, what net zero actually means? I mean, will we be able to use our familiar hydrocarbon fuels and then plant lots of trees, for example? Mm, Good question. Uh, The net zero greenhouse gas emission is referring to when anthropogenic GHG emissions to the atmospheres are balanced by the anthropogenic removals. And uh, let me put that uh, perspective in marine fuels. So say a plant, when it grows, uh, it absorbs CO2 from the atmosphere. And if you use that plant to make biofuels and in the production process capture any CO2 emissions, it is possible to achieve a net zero emissions because the emission from the fuel combustion could be offset by the emission absorbed by the plant and reduced in the production process. And you can see by that scenario just described, it is based on assessing the life cycle emission of a fuel. All right. Thanks, um, Ken. Uh, let's, um, let's leave it there. But it seems clear to me anyway that there's a lot of decisions still to be made by uh, both fuel producers and their customers about this. So um, thank you uh, to Ken Carr and um, Christopher Boots for your thought-provoking insights. And thank you, too, for listening to this Lloyd's List podcast. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much, Paul. Glad to be here.